Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. Producing this podcast has given me great opportunities to connect with other caregivers who generously share their stories. I'm excited to share today's journey with you for two reasons. First, by participating in our conversation, I was able to help two people who recently lost a loved one process some of their feelings. But the most exciting part of the conversation is what I hope you will get out of it. Each family's journey with memory loss is unique, but today's guests show us how we should come together to help our loved ones. I like to think of their story as a blueprint that every family should try and follow. It's a long conversation, so I've split it up into two episodes, but since Thanksgiving is in two days, I'm releasing both episodes this week. Today's episode is coming out, obviously, on my normal release day, and part two will be released in 36 hours or Wednesday around lunchtime. This is so everyone that will be gathering with family will have a chance to hear the entire conversation before the holiday. It is my hope that if tough conversations need to happen this holiday weekend, that this conversation will be a guide to achieving your goal of helping your loved one with a minimum of family strife. So enough from me, let's listen into my conversation with Corey and Cindy. Corey is also a podcaster, and you'll get to hear the promo for his show at the end of both of these episodes. Uh, Well, she was um, a creative woman. Uh, She she worked as an admin type of position most of her life, very organized, very creative, and uh, she loved the holidays and she loved having family um, around. And uh, I think probably around the time that they decided to retire, I think we started noticing that she was having memory issues. But they weren't bad. They weren't bad at all. The occasional, like, repeat uh, a question here and there, you know. And, we, yeah, we would start noticing that, like, Grandma already asked about that, didn't she? You know, Right, yeah. right. But I... It, it just wasn't anything that we were overly concerned about. Mm-hmm. And she had health issues. She had asthma as a child. And there were um, a lot of surgeries and things that she endured through her life. Um, the last thing that she endured was a um, kind of an emergency surgery for a hiatal hernia, mm-hmm. which they don't usually do surgery for. But Very hers was so bad that... Um, she had to to go through that. And because of all that she went through with that surgery, it sort of, pro- it brought on the m- more of a memory issue thing as she was recovering. And that was the beginning of her dementia. Um, it, it became more prominent at family gatherings. Um, and my dad took it on. He would take her to all of her doctor appointments and then started with neurologists Mm -hmm. to have her diagnosed eventually with vascular dementia. And they attributed it to what she went through in that surgery, but she was already going down that road. It just sort of made it happen faster. Um, I kind of suspect something similar happened to my mom. She Mm -hmm. was involved in a serious car accident in December of 91 Mm. she hit her face so hard on the steering wheel that the nerve that comes through your cheekbone 
mm. was permanently damaged. Oh, wow. Her, a wow. long time, her cheek was numb like Novocaine. Right. And then it kind of came back like the Novocaine was wearing off, but I don't, I don't know that it ever fully regained normalcy. Mm-hmm. And that was, like I said, December of 91. And looking back, we think she might have actually started showing signs of memory loss in the summer of 1995, mm-hmm. which put her at about 52 and a half. Mm-hmm. So my 52nd wow. birthday is in about three weeks. So mm-hmm. it's kind of scary. And my maternal grandmother had Alzheimer's. I think it was undiagnosed Alzheimer's. And my maternal great-grandmother also had no memory at the end of her life. So it's like, mm. yay for genetics. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm a little concerned as well. My grandmother, um, she started having memory issues, but she was it was later in her life. It was uh, more towards... Yeah, I would say maybe 78-ish. And they, my grandfather and her died like maybe five months apart. And my grandfather was also having memory issues, but it wasn't that I'm aware of. I mean, my aunt took care of them, but they were aware up until probably about two, three years prior to their uh, passings. And um, so none of us really thought that this was something to think about. And, and it's, it's definitely, um, it's been a journey. Let's just put it that way. It's not a fun journey either. It's not. And, and of course, dad did an excellent job to, to take on the caregiving part. He did everything and we were not aware of basically all that that entailed, uh, because it was manageable. Um, mom, you know, as she became more and more dependent on him and he made sure that he made it easy for her, uh, you know, to get through her day, to get her to where she needed to be to get her hair cut and all these things. But it was evident um, at more family gatherings. Every time we'd try and get her to a place, sometimes he'd have to call and say, I cannot get your mother in the car. She's not wanting to do this today. And we would understand. And he would get frustrated. And it was just sort of, what's going on here? You know, because he shielded us from a lot of that everyday stuff. Until yeah. about two years ago, where he called my brother and our, myself and um, our spouses in to talk to him, where he finally put up the white flag and said, I cannot do this anymore. It's more than I can handle. So he called in what he fondly calls his committee in air quotes. <laughs> and that we do that, yeah. which uh, we took on the responsibility of finding a place for mom, which is exactly where we started. <laughs> Literally at a place for mom. It's a website. Ah, a website. Yeah, and, I've used uh, them. Yes, they were uh, instrumental in getting us guided to where we needed to be. And uh, so we took that on. He had, um, he said, I will take care of her, uh, but I can't do this part. I, I need for you guys to help me. And so we did. And we, we got him a bridge, what we called the bridge, where in-home care came in to help him while we took that job on to uh, tour and interview places for mom, literally. Um, 
and we, we found two and we brought them back to dad and then he took it over from there. So it was kind of a, here we go. This is the information. Yeah. And um, he, he made the choice of those two. One brought out the, evalu- the evaluator and they could not take her because she was too far advanced. The first, wow. the first, place, the first place that we really wanted to put her. And I don't know if you want me to tell you what that place was, but they only had a certain level of memory care that they could provide. And mom was just a tick farther than they felt they could, um, you know, successfully care for her. So we took um, option B, which was Crescendo in Placentia, where they had a, a brand new memory center along that was hooked into a senior assisted living uh, facility. So we were also looking to see for post this for my dad to say, if you don't want to be staying in the house by yourself once this transitions, maybe you might want to look into getting a condominium on this side so that you're closer to mom. So we had kind of a twofold research that we were doing. He didn't use that, but it was there for him if he chose to do that to cope. Um, well, yeah, I mean, we didn't know sort of, you know, the sort of timeline for grandpa's health right. at that point, you know. He was very depressed he, at this he, point. Yeah, he was going through his own emotional struggles. And I, I think, you know, having the committee, <laughs> as it were, the quote-unquote committee, um, <clears throat> helped to sort of relieve this sort of stress of decision-making a, a little bit uh, for for my grandfather. Um, be, I, I don't know, like, I think I think there's there's a bit of, like, when you reach out for help, especially, like, in a spouse situation, from what I can just get from being sort of an outside viewer of the entire situation, is is that, you know, the decision to put somebody at home, to some, can feel like giving up on that person. And... Sorry. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and I think that, you know, having, you know, the others in your support system uh, be able to look at all of the options and sort of, you know, take into consideration like what would be best for, you know, your, your loved one at that point um, to sort of give you the best decision <laughs> to, to make as opposed to like, you know, you're grappling with this sort of personal idea that, you know, you're, uh, is, does this mean that I'm giving up on my wife? Does this mean that, you know, we're giving up on mom? And then it's further, further from the truth, you know, like the, um, providing somebody with the help, putting them in a facility that will be able to give them more than you could give them at home. And I, it is, it like, it's, it's a hard personal struggle, but ultimately better care for my grandmother was going to be had at, at a memory facility. And I think you know? perceptions of uh, care facilities has changed immensely, especially yeah. since my, my dad um, thought about them, you know, they're quite different than they were when maybe um, he would have thought about this for his parents. So that oh, definitely perception definitely. needed to be brought from his children to him saying, wow, you know, here are the things that they will provide for mom. And, and we had a stake in making sure, um, I, my, I know that the committee took great care in, you know, talking prior, going together to do the tours and saying to each other, if for one moment 
any of you feel uncomfortable in here for whatever reason, you need to let us know and we will leave. And then we will go talk about it. And there was one place that we did have that both uh, my sister-in-law and I both looked at each other and shook our heads as we were going through it. And I said, okay, we let them finish the tour. And that one was just off the table. So yeah, that's be, when be picky. <clears throat> yes. No, <laughs> Absolutely. Picky. Be, be real picky. Um, yes. Because you know, that the, you want them to care for your parent. You want it to um, be comfortable. They want feeling, comfortable you know? that they are well cared for in all the aspects that are going to come down the line that you're not even aware of. Yeah. As we were not even aware of at the time until she was there. Um, well, it's, so, in- yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. My dad was similar to your dad. He kind of hit a lot of the problems for my sister and I. He mm-hmm. facilitated mom getting to her nail appointments, her hair appointments, and all that stuff. She had friends that picked her up for um, a Seroptimus women's service group meetings. And one gal would drag my mom along on errands with her, which my dad was never sure what time the lady would drop her off. So that always frustrated him. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was really nice of her to take my mom for like the majority of the day. I think he missed that part, but... What a lot of people don't know is that 65% of caregivers will be hospitalized or die before their caree passes away. Mm. And my dad never discussed, never thought about um, a community, a memory community for my mom at all. I found out while he was on hospice that he just assumed she'd move in with me, which, as I've said on prior episodes, was a really bold assumption Right. Because my daughter did not move out until my, a month before my dad died. So I didn't even have a spare room. Wow. And, and my husband and I are both self-employed. I work from home. I'm also a professional photographer. And my mom needed, and still does obviously, needs, you know, constant supervision. But she right. needs stimulation. And my sister and I went through a, a variety of thought processes on what to do with her because living with my sister or with me was not an option. Right. And, I mean, I just turned 50 when my dad had passed away. So it was like, I'm sorry if it sounds terrible, but I wasn't ready to just quit working, which I can't afford to do or give up on all of, you know, going to the gym. I'm in a bicycling group and we go out twice a week. You know, I wouldn't be able to do any of that. So I wasn't ready to pretty much give up my social life to stay home with my mom because that's no, that wouldn't have worked. <laughs> right. Right. So the first place I looked at, there's a memory community, you know, assisted living memory community down literally a mile from here. Um, and I just wasn't impressed. And there are two board and care homes in my neighborhood, which I thought, cause my mom is physically fine. It's just her brain is no good. And, but she had her dog with her. And I thought, you know, I don't think a board and care home is going to take her dog. And I was moderately concerned about her walking away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was hard. You know, you don't know about those things. So I, going through a place for mom also, went to another assisted living memory community that's not very far from here. It's the next town over. It's literally like 15 minutes from my house. And, you know, the place was, I thought it was beautiful then. And they've just gone through a renovation that they started in June. 
which, okay, it's even more pretty now, but you know, it's like <clears throat> renovating a memory care union is not fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it did my mom any favors. She, you know, she seems to have slipped a little bit in the last couple of months. It's really hard to tell, but her repeated questions happen more frequently. Mm-hmm. But this place let her keep her dog oh. until they did the renovations. And they really didn't want to ask me to rehome the dog, but we'd worked together, the executive director, <laughs> the med techs, the caregivers to feed the dog properly, to get her in and out of the, they have a beautiful courtyard. The um, residents, the memory care residents surrounds this really nice, fairly large courtyard. So it's, it's, you know, it's a really nice place. Um, but the dog didn't have a lot of structure or a lot of discipline. So she wasn't super obedient. And the ladies, the residents fed her from the table. So this black miniature poodle who should have weighed 15 or 16 pounds weighed 27. Wow. And was, and kept getting heavier. It got mm-hmm. to the point, I knew we were going to be rehoming her And they called one day and they said, oh, Misty's limping. And I'm thinking, "Uh uh-huh, I'd limp too if I was double my body weight. Right. You know, so (laughs) I'm like, we'd gone through all kinds of testing with the vet to see if she was diabetic or other diseases. And no, it was just pretty much eating people food constantly. She did not really eat dog food at all. So she's better off where she's at now, hopefully getting slender and and living out the rest of her life. She just turned 10, so she's not a young dog. Mm-hmm. Hopefully her senior years are going to be good. But oh, that was, good. you know, the 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 way it looked and the fact that they had keep her dog, let her keep her dog, those were the two biggest factors in why we chose where we did. And the, the other reason I liked the memory community versus a board and care home was the activities. Because I mm. thought, well, you know, my mom was also creative. She, she was, she did sewing, she did painting, even in later in life, she did woodworking. Mm. So I thought, okay, well, they've got activities tailored to people with memory issues. Well, she doesn't do any of those, which is frustrating. <laughs> but there are, my mom's name is Diane, and there are two other Dianes <clears throat> in the residence, and the three of them are like the three musketeers. Oh, that's good. It's <laughs> confusing because I'll ask my mom, well, where's your friend Diane? And she's like, I'm Diane. I'm like, yes, I know. The other Diane. And now <laughs> the other, other Diane. <laughs> it's oh. like, you know, so she socializes and she, because she's physically fine, she helps other residents that are in wheelchairs or, you know, she's always helping and it gives her a, a purpose, which right. is definitely a good thing because we all need a purpose in life, even if we can't remember what we did two minutes ago. So, right. Um, my mom never did that. I think six months into her residency there, they moved her to the second level, which was more advanced dementia and dementia care. But when she first got there, she cared for a baby doll. Yeah, and she had found in the activity room this little baby that she carried around um, everywhere. I've Mm. got pictures of her with her holding her on her shoulder and taking her to bed. And my dad finally went out and got her her own baby doll because that doll was obviously a therapy doll (laughs) in their activity room. And she carried that around for about three months until she forgot about her baby. Yeah, and and then um, she just got 
steadily worse. I mean, that's all you can say is every time you'd go to visit her, she she had a busy pad that they would put her at her table, um, and she she would pound the table with her hand and I or her legs, you know, and it was a very rhythmic thing that she did all the time and that bothered other residents. So they got this pad for her where there were buttons and zippers and things that she could fidget with. I think they do call it like a fidget pad or something. And that way it spread across the table. So if she pounded on the table, it didn't bother the other residents. But um the last Christmas she was there, she loved to dance. So she was listening to Christmas music and dancing. We went and visited her. And that's one of the last pictures I have with her is dancing at Christmas time and, and a party that they did have <clears throat> with her before she started getting um, to the point where she didn't remember anything. Um, it, it was just, it was tough to see the decline happen so rapidly once it hit a certain point. And my dad would go, I mean, he was in very involved with the staff there. He would make DVDs of old movies for all the residents because they, um, and, and since he had done that, they would have movie nights or movie afternoons where every resident would come into that activity room and watch movies because they were movies from the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, that they remembered. That, that's how I want my, like, when I get placed in a home when I'm older, like, just make every afternoon an, a movie afternoon. Right. Like, and mom loved it. She would listen from the back of the room, but sometimes she would get um, combative or agitated. And so they definitely needed to keep her separate, even at at, at times, She had her own section of a table that she sat at. Um, yeah, she she became more, more and more aggressive. Yeah, um, and it and, and it, frustrated with the like that she couldn't like piece together her surroundings, right? And all so she would jump to to anger and and be really aggressive. So unfortunately, she wasn't know. too social. She did have one gentleman that was her next door neighbor that he always told her and her home that husband. he. Her home husband, yeah. Um, dad's what dad called her, uh, called him, is that, that that's her boyfriend, you her know, boyfriend. there. Um, but it was cute. And, and he would always um, come over to her and say, I really like your smile. Mm-hmm. Aww, he brightened her up. And I, I mean, it gave, you know, it gave a connection there. Um, and so they ended up going to the upper floor I think together and living like a couple doors down from each other, but he, his family was always there visiting as well. And I think they were declining in the same, um, about the same rate. So I think they were a couple of the, the two that went up to that floor first, but yeah, it um, it was definitely an eye opener. Um, and one that I knew was happening, but not, really grasping how quickly it was happening. Oh yeah. There's a certain sense of uh, personal denial that you go through. Yeah. Um, and not to, I mean, even going to, you know, where like the first signs of the dementia, the, <clears throat> the repeated questions and whatnot, we all kind of played it off because we all had this like denial. Like, Oh, it's just grandma. Grandma's fine. Like, yeah, she's getting older. It's fine. And we, you know, you, you don't, like immediately connect all those dots, you know, and especially with, you know, grandpa kind of putting up those walls and only letting 
you know, um, her socialize when she was having good days and coming to family events and stuff when she was ready to, to go, you know, like that, <clears throat> that keeps you in, in the sort of like dark personally as, as well. Um, I, I think part of that too is, you know, not, not wanting to realize that like you're losing, not, not, I don't know how to, how to, how to describe this. Like that you're, you're, like a person that you've known that's been such a strong figure in your life is slipping away. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you, you, there's a block in your own, your own head, especially like for, for us on the grandkid level too. Like, Oh yeah. Grandma's getting older, but like, I don't know. We'll see her, you know, in Easter and we'll see her and we'll go over there, mm-hmm. you know, a few Sundays and have dinner with them. It'll be fine. And then, and then when she doesn't remember you, that's when it hits you. Yeah. But even then, like it, it takes, it took a few times for me personally, like mm-hmm. it took a few times where like, um, I had to stop myself from going, yeah, you just asked this grandma, like realizing like, Oh, wait, 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 there is something going on here. And I, I'm not helping anything by making her frustrated by thinking that she's already had this conversation three times with me, you know? Yeah. Right? And that's a really dangerous question to ask. And it's really hard not to, or, you know, statement, you know, you yeah. You already said that. I actually did pull that with my mom this past week. Um, she doesn't remember my dad died. She doesn't mm-hmm. remember the dog is gone. It's very, but she remembers the sweater that I confiscated. She was literally, <laughs> I mean, like, that just blows my mind. And I'm the kind of person, I like to know why. I like to understand, you know, like, why does she forget my dad, who she was married to for 55 years? They met when she was... I believe a sophomore in high school. So, you know, they knew each other like close to 60 years or about 60 years, but she doesn't realize that he's gone and she doesn't remember the dogs, but she remembers this sweater. It's like, I don't get it. Just like that kills me. (laughs) I I like to take her out a lot of it because I just can't deal with answering the same questions over and over and taking her out, gives some stimulation. Sure. Um, you know, so I don't get the same question over and over, but also because they've been renovating, it's like, you know, was it wasn't comfortable to sit like the living room was torn up and the dining room was turned up. It was like, you know, I'd right. have to sit in her room and they say, yeah, I don't want to do that. So we go out, there's a regional park, two of them actually close by. And this past week I took her out like I do. We were halfway between her room and the doorway and she's like, does my husband know where I'm at? Yes, mom. I told dad. Get to the doorway. So we're talking like 15 feet. Does my husband know where we're Yes, mom. I told dad. We get to the other outside door, you know, another 10, 12 feet. Same question. We get in the car. I'm like, oh, my God. This is like the fourth time in two minutes. And I'm like, you already asked me that, which I knew was bad. And it didn't upset her. It just, it, it seemed fortunately that this particular week to end that questioning. Mm-hmm. My dad would get very frustrated with her, which is understandable, but his patience, mostly because his health was not good, what his patience was not good either. And so it bothers me that she asked that question so frequently because I know behind the question, and she'll even tell you, well, if my husband doesn't know where I'm at, he's going to get really upset. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I don't really need a reminder that he probably wasn't as patient as she needed and trust me it's not easy and like i said he had diabetes and he had all kinds of his own personal issues and he really should have looked into help 
you know, now that I look back on it, it would have served both of them quite well. It would have been great if they would have considered moving into assisted living together. Right. right. You wouldn't have to worry about cooking for which he was terrible at. <laughs> um, his eating habits were terrible too. He was just total meat and potatoes guy. And you know, <laughs> I, just, I think a lot of the daily frustrations would have been partially alleviated if he had considered right. assisted living and there is, I believe they're still there. There's a couple that lives in the memory residence. She needs memory care. He does not. And they'll, he'll take her over to the other side to the assisted living. Um, he's in a wheelchair. So he's definitely not, you know, he's not raring to go. But his mind is fine. So they're together and sh- they're both being cared for in the manner they need to be cared for. And I'm sure it's giving them a little bit more life, a little more time together. And I wish more people would consider that because it's not, you know, when we put, first put my mom in the memory residence, it, it was difficult because I knew it wasn't what my dad wanted. And we literally was two weeks after he passed away. So a lot of emotions. My mom, mm-hmm. well, that was the worst day of our life, cried, begged, pleaded. It was horrible. But I knew it was the right thing to do oh. for everybody. My sister has school age kids. My daughter's almost 27. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, you know, you need a place that's going to take care of you. Not, not my house where I have to try to deal with you with all the other things. And I just, I knew it would be the right thing to do. And I wish he had checked into that more. And I think it would have helped both of them. Right. Our, our experience with getting mom to the, it, it affected us more than it affected her because she was at a level where she literally did not under, or not remember anything two minutes after it happened. Yeah. So she trusted my dad. We put her in the car. We got her to Crescendo. We walked in. Everybody was waiting there for her. And that, that was when she was very, um, like ha- happy, happy, happy all the yeah. time, you know. Say, you know, everybody well, was. Well, gra- grandma, <clears throat> she she had this um, sort of like a, a, kind, a kindness like... air to her. No, 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 like uh, the pleasantries, right? Yeah. So she would default into um, sort of a, a stranger situation when she was with somebody that she trusted, uh, as though all of these people are very, very kind people and that they, they should be greeted with, uh, oh, hello, how are you? Right. So nice to see you again. Shaking hands, you know, all that kind of stuff became sort of this default. And we would see that um, at family functions as well before she went into um, the crescendo, um, that when she would come to family functions, she was good at sort of putting on this sort of air of pleasantry uh, about her so that when she greeted you, she would give you, you know, sort of the hug and... Um, Oh, how are you? So nice to see you again. When you would notify her, like the greeting sort of became this sort of pre-programmed thing where it was like, hello, grandma. I, you know, I'm so happy to see you to sort of re- reinforce our roles to each other, mm-hmm. you know, in that split second. And then she would immediately sort of like relax and, you know, take remember your hand. Remember where she was, yeah. No. Well, and I don't even know if she remember where she was, but she was putting on that like well, that she that could face. be comfortable yeah, with Yeah, she was like, because... oh, you're my grandchild. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. How are you doing? It's so nice to see you again. And then right. would, you know, we would kind of go through the thing a couple times throughout those visits. But I, I think the same thing at Crescendo. She was in a good mood and she was with people she trusted. <laughs> and, trusted. and they were receptive and positive to her. So I think that's what really helped. And so our transition was very easy. She walked in. The activity director came over and said, Donna, we are so happy to have you here. And we've got a seat right here. You're just in time for lunch. 
She took her hand. Oh, how nice. She walked yeah. her into the dining room. She turned around to us and blew kisses hmm. at us. And the, the activity director waved us away and said, now's your time. We, now here's the transition. Run. And they put her <laughs> no. in there. She never <laughs> cried. She never said another word. She just accepted that that was where she was to be. We, on the other hand, walked out and cried our eyes out in the parking lot. Just turned to puddles. <laughs> that, that transition was a little bit tough, but we knew that we were doing the right thing. Um, and my dad, you could see the relief in him physically um, that he, we had made the right decision and that that she transitioned so smoothly made it just that much easier. That and um, would have been nice. Uh, we, yeah. What we did is we moved all of my mom's stuff into her room. We put up all the family photos that she had had down the hallway to the bedrooms in their house. And we, we pretty much tried to recreate her space. Right. Um, and then the son-in-laws, my husband and my brother-in-law um, brought mom over I think my mom had been with my husband and the caregiver that day I'm not really sure where my brother-in-law was <laughs> they came together with mom and we showed her her room and it was terrible and she missed dinner with the rest of the people so I can see how you're the way you guys handled it was definitely better so I think that's that's a good thing for people to know because you know we did it the way we we're kind of told and it was, like I said, it was pretty traumatic. Right. And it's not that there weren't people there. <laughs> I remember going to visit mom and there was a bench at the front door and there were always two ladies there sitting with their purses on their lap, ready to bolt. <laughs> oh, yes. So when we would come in, we would know that we would have to say, okay, <laughs> you block Carol so that she doesn't start running for the door. And because the gal sit next to her, will go with her. And then she would, you know, we, we understood um, that she was not happy being there and that she would tell you again and again and again. And it's just different levels of the, the process. Um, and we felt very grateful that at the time mom went in, she was, it was, it was her, the right time to actually not traumatize the situation, you know, for her being fearful. And um, that was a big she, concern. She so. was also at a, a sort of place in her dimension. A bear, uh, the next, that, yes. That we, there wasn't going to be a lot of that, like held on to resentment. And, if we had and done it six months prior or two years prior, yeah. we probably would have had oh, a yeah. big fight on our hands. So it was just um, when my dad finally could not do it anymore was that time. You know, it just seemed an easier transition. Yeah, when he let his, his sort of stubborn pride go. Of being sort a little of like, bit, yeah. He wanted. I'm the to husband. Fix it. I need to be the one that is. I made a vow, you know. Like, right. there's there's some chivalry there, uh, but well, and it, it's beyond your scope your a little bit. Tell sometimes, you, Dad, you you're doing it. You did it. Yeah. Till you know, literally, death do you part. You did an excellent job. He did. He shielded his kids. The grand, you know, grandkids and the too. grandkids as best he could. But when we had to get involved, we stepped up and we helped him get through those parts that he couldn't get through. Um, so he, he kept his promise. And I think he's finally at peace with that. Mm. That's good. 
Now, yeah. I want to ask a quick question. You said mom was really organized. Yes. Did you notice? Because one of the early signs of Alzheimer's or memory loss, and you said they diagnosed her with vascular dementia, so this may not apply because that's mm-hmm. different. Um, but one of the early signs is the inability to like make a plan and follow it through, like follow a, a recipe you've used all these times or – you know, okay, we're going to have family Sunday dinner and this person's bringing this and that person's bringing that and I'm going to do this, you know, those kind of details. Did you notice she having struggles with that? You know, they had stopped doing that kind of stuff a long time ago. Um, we took over family gatherings, so we would just tell them, you know, just this show is what up. you need to bring and this yeah. is where we're doing it, you know, that kind of stuff. So a, a lot like around the time that they were um, retiring. Well, even before, before that, they, yeah. my brother and I, you know, those families we took on every other holiday, you know, so they just didn't have to worry about it anymore. Um, but, you know, in her pre years, she did genealogy. She did, um, oh, she yeah. organized, I mean, as I'm going through her craft room and, and, purchase thing or not purchase, but the, my dad gave me things, the needle point, the, the, the organization of the thread, everything was marked and her genealogy books that were to the nth degree of detail. Um, and it even surprised my dad when he was going through some of the things in there thinking, I had no idea that your mom was this meticulous, meticulous. Mm-hmm. She would just do her thing and that's what she enjoyed. And she was an excellent um, administration, administrative person in her working life, too. She was, like, uh, yeah, good, very skills. good at what she did. Um, and everything in her house is organized. Um, everything that they did to organize their house, she had a hand in it. My dad is very talented in that respect of building things and and so they would work together to do those things. And so every nook and cranny in their house has a little hidden thing that's functional that mm-hmm. had my mom's input as well as my dad's input in there. So, yeah, she, but, but towards her <laughs> dementia, I don't, I don't really know how to answer that question because she didn't do those sort of things um, to be able to gauge it. Yeah, that's funny. Like, I never really noticed... Um, the the over attention to detail but now that you've mentioned it like the kids closet yes at grandma's house that had all of our like where we would just go to get crayons and coloring books and whatnot like very specifically organized coloring books crayon boxes activity sets games. and games yes and a specific space <laughs> underneath the stairs that little people could get into yeah to find those things that's that yeah exactly yeah. I, now that i'm like remembering <laughs> this room vividly she, from my childhood like yes. the playing cards the board games the coloring books and then these sort of like three vhs tapes that we would watch when we go over to grandma my mom was not that organized i mean she wasn't careless about stuff but she just wasn't not that many people are that meticulous. I'm pretty meticulous, and that's that's even maybe a step above me. But I think you said they stopped doing some of the things like hosting the family dinners. And when you look back, you could probably say, well, you know what? She was probably starting to have memory issues then because it you know becomes a challenge to to plan out even simple things. And one of the best examples I've I've read recently is 
a lot of times people who are starting in the early stages of memory loss, you know, they, they stop eating properly. And you, and a lot of us are like, well, why can't they just make a freaking sandwich for themselves? Well, if you stop and think about all the steps involved in making a sandwich, right. you get out the bread and the meat and the cheese and the condiments, and you got to put it all together in a nice way. You got to, I mean, there's a lot of steps just to a basic sandwich and it, mm-hmm. Your b- brain is not processing, you know, step one, two, three, four in, in the proper order. Making a sandwich is a challenge. Right. And I, I never thought about it until somebody was, there was, um, we were talking about why, you know, how to pay attention to their nutrition. They were, you know, they were talking about warning signs of possible memory loss, possible struggles that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily notice until somebody said hey I think that's a warning sign and you're like yeah okay I think Mm -hmm. you're right so we're dealing we're dealing with that with my mom's youngest sister I was just that's the first Uh, thing that showed up we we have this issue running through the sisters the older sister is in um, her daughter's care in Colorado Mm -hmm. she's in a facility and is having memory issues Um, and then my mom who was more advanced than both of her sisters, but they're all in different stages of it. And then her younger sister, who's probably mid to late seventies, I believe um, is exhibiting the same memory loss issues. And my dad took on while mom was in, we got mom in a facility. So he didn't have the daily thing. He went to go check on her sister finding very familiar signs and getting her financial well-being in order um, to take care of that because without those durable power of attorneys of authority, we cannot take care of her. He took it on in the middle of all of this to make sure that her bills were paid, that he had durable power of finance and health for her. And then for us, as the committee now has expanded to um, other cousins uh, to see where we can now take care of Aunt Mary, um, who is in a very um, kind of a tender stage of this illness because she's aware, partially. Yeah. So That's when you try to ask her questions, she gets resentful. Why are you asking me that? But she can't work a microwave, doesn't remember how. Um, we're not even sure that she's showering herself on a regular basis. And my dad goes out there once a week and he makes, she picks up mail, picks up whatever's coming, checks on her, takes her out of the house. But he's concerned that she takes walks every day now and that this is not going to get any better and that we need to do something. And so we're in the throes of that. Trying to get her to Trying stop, to get, stop getting delivery from... A pizza, pizza Hut. Yeah. yeah, she calls Pizza Hut and they deliver food. She remembers enough about yeah. how to get pizza delivered. But she can't make any. I don't know if she makes her tea anymore. Yeah. Um, she can't. My dad tried to get her to do the microwave and she just didn't remember. Uh, she was at my mom's memorial and she followed me around. Um, yeah. Couldn't remember my name. Was very concerned that she could not remember anybody's names there, which was a lot of family. Um, and I told her, you just stay right by me. You need someone's name. I'll give you their name and we'll in- reintroduce you. And so she did follow me around for a while. And at, at mom's memorial, we had a, 
a display of her seasons of life. And one of the seasons was when she was born, which had a lot of pictures of my mom as a baby and Aunt Mary and her sister and mother and father. And that's the table that Mary went to and would tell people, that's my sister, Donna. That's my sister, Zoe. Mm. And that's me. There's my brother. There's my mom and dad. And I thought, hover up that table, Mary, and remember, yeah, that's your family. But she didn't remember anything past that on the memories of my mom and even pictures of her older. So it was quite an eye-opener for the extended committee <laughs> to say, uh-oh, here we go again in the throes of all of this. This is a challenging year, a couple years, and, and it's not over because we're still trying to um, assist Aunt Mary, and it's not going to be easy. We are going to have a fight because we're, we're trying to look for where she can afford with what she's got, and it looks as though we may need to take her out of state. So that might not be a journey that's going to be easy. So, <laughs> No, trying a, to convince her. Yeah. Is there a community near the... The person who's in Colorado? Um, actually, they're looking for another cousin that's living in Nevada, who ha- is her is the, one of the durable or one of the people that, of, for so, her care. Yeah, the closest to a sort of son to her. She didn't have right. any kids of her own, right? Um, but and has a very very close bond to um, you know, your cousin, right? So the, he's involved with. Um, my cousin in Colorado. My cousin in Colorado cannot do this because she's taking care of her mom. Her mother, yeah. um, so we are we are in discussions about that, and both of the, them are talking to because my cousin in Colorado has done a lot of research on the financial aspect. Is the same for both. both in multiple states. So like she's, she's yeah, got- they have to <laughs> dig dig into uh, finances differently than my dad had to for my mom. We're so. going to have to start like a, like a family trust that encompasses the entire extended family <laughs> so that we can like have governance board meetings to decide like how <laughs> we're going right. to financially handle our generations as we go older. Well, and, and it's different too, just simply because we went through it and, and Dottie's been through it in Colorado with her mom by herself, just with her husband, uh, her sister passed away years ago, so she doesn't have any sibling assistance there. And then Dwayne, who his daughters still aren't married yet. You know, yeah. they're still a young family. And still, so one of them's still in college. Yeah. So he's he's taking on something that is he's learning about. Um and and we're trying to help that, you know, as best we can if if it should be something that changes, we have to go to plan B, (laughs) but we all have to be involved because like Corey said, she does not, she did never married and never had children and considers us her babies. Whether she remembers our names or not, we're there to help protect her, you know, and uh, my dad can only do so much. Yeah. Um, And I don't blame him for not wanting to take any more on than he's already taken on. So it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. He did his, he did his, his duty. Um, and he's helping to transition this to make sure that Mary is safe wherever she ends up. Well, that's awesome of him. And I like Corey's idea of the, like the generational family trust governance. 
I don't right? even know if that's a thing you can do, but it's. It'll have why not? To why not? Like, I, we I just think have, we've like, done uh, it in a way yeah, with the committee. We just keep adding people. You got, come in here, come in here, and we will help but, guide you where you need to go. We, we could also, like, set up in that respect, like, what you would expect for your future if your your health were to, to True, family, so that everybody's whatever, you know? aware of what's Like, everybody in the on. family just sort of knows, like, okay, these are the plans for our generational, you know, like, can we vote on stuff and we could... <laughs> You know, yeah. That's why? Why and, not? And the important we, we vote too. on where where to have Christmas. Why can't we vote on like where we want to you know sort of end up in our care facilities? Well, that? that's true. And and if you as you get through your life, like we are at our sp- specific stages, you set up a trust and a will, and you make right. sure that those things are written, and um, makes it easy for the children to take on whatever needs to happen. And I tell my dad all the time, you know, when you're 20 something, 30 something, you go, yeah, 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 dad. Thanks for that thing. We did our will and trust. We did this, we did this. And you're not ready to hear that. Then you get older and you think, okay, I need to do this for you because I want that transition when that happens to be as seamless for you as possible. So we did that. My brother did that for his four kids. I did that for you, or we did that for you. And so it makes it easier um, to plan for that, you know, to have the long-term care uh, available to you so that you can make these decisions Mm -hmm. easier. Unfortunately for Dottie and for my Aunt Mary, they didn't do that. And so we are learning as we go. It's not the same situation that it was for mom. Um, Dad just told us, I, you know, money is no object at this point. So you just tell me where you feel like we, you know, you would feel comfortable putting mom. Right. And that's what we did. But it's very different. Um, so. Huh. Yeah, my parents had a trust. And the one thing that I, I didn't understand with my dad, I mean, he planned so much and did really well, like you guys are talking about, but he didn't, it wasn't super clear in the trust what, whose roles were what, if he were to pass first. Oh. Um, It was in there, but we actually, my sister and I had to go to an attorney who had to read through it. It was on page one of his part of the trust that if he passed first, my mom obviously was the beneficiary and the trustee and all that stuff but she was not legally competent right. and it was on like page 11 where it said my sister and I were the successor trustees. If my mom was unable to handle everything. And I mean, we thought we were literally terrified that we were going to have to ha- go to court and have her declared legally incompetent. And fortunately this lawyer found where it was in the trust, you know, but it was like, but they didn't talk, you know, my, I knew my mom did not, she didn't want to end up like her mom. Well, <laughs> mm-hmm. I knew a long time ago that wasn't going to be the case. And they just had this, I don't think they ever actually went to a for-profit assisted living memory care community and looked at it. Well, no, my dad had been at one. We went together for the business we had together. So I don't know. I don't, I don't understand why it was never discussed you know, what, what we would do with mom. It was just assumed she'd come live with me. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm sure with lots of conversation with you at that point. <laughs> no conversation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like zero. I found out from his friend who was originally the executor of their trust. Um, thankfully, he backed out of that. And yeah, he just looked at me and he goes, well, you know, your dad just assumed your mom's going to live with you. And I'm like, nope, no, that's not, not going to happen. At that, at that point, my daughter still lived at home. So I don't know where they thought I was going to put my mom. Well, and in his state of mind of caregiving, I can see where you, you kind of shut down. You, you just make it so in your head and just hope that everybody takes care of it. Yeah. And I think that's at, at a certain point, that's where my dad got, where he just, I cannot make this decision. I need your help. And that was where we stepped in. And it was literally to, to find the place to put mom, knowing that once she was there, this life was going to change as he knew it. Mm-hmm. And we knew it, but mostly for him. For 24-7, he was taking care of every need that she ever had. And he finally admitted he couldn't do it anymore. And no judgment. I don't know, well, you know, how people only- deal with that. It is just... You you gotta go to the next step. You try to put that in perspective too. Like it's a life that he's been familiar with, accustomed to for sixty years. Well, they would have celebrated their sixty second yeah sixty two years anniversary on September twenty eighth. Yeah. To to be to know that like once this happens, this is a complete one eighty on on your life. You know his purpose. Mm-hmm. Daily purpose was changing. And really at that time, he did not know. He was, um, there was depression. He was, uh, how am I going to deal with this? It's going to be quiet. How am I going to deal with this? Mm-hmm. And it's like one step at a time, dad, but it's a, it was a total, um, fear, uh, you know, of, of how, how is this going to be once this is done? And so it took a while for him to cross that line to actually say, I have no choice. I have to do this. He held on to it as long as he could. Um, And then when the committee came in, he realized that that help was there. You know, we'll we'll help you get through that part too. Um, And then he could sort of begin the the process of like letting go of grandma. Right. Even while she was still alive. I mean, that sounds... Old, I guess, to 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 the to like an outside point of view, but like really, Grandma left well before she she actually passed. A caring committee. It's such a simple idea, yet this is the first time I've heard of a family doing something like this. Like I said in the intro, I hope their solution to helping family member with memory loss can be a guideline for you and your family. Now listen to the end so you can hear the promo for Corey's podcast. It's a good balance to the seriousness of mine. Part two of our conversation will be out tomorrow around lunchtime so you can hear the whole conversation and digest it before gathering with your family this Thanksgiving. Definitely check out the show notes or even the webpage for each episode. I include a lot of additional useful information every week. 
And definitely check out the My Favorite Things page because I created that specifically so that you did not have to hunt down some of the best books and tools to utilize with your loved one. Now, stay tuned at the end of the episode because I've got something special coming up for you. Are you looking for a way to connect with your loved one? Maybe an activity you can do together instead of sitting around answering the same questions over and over again? Have you checked out Two Lap Books yet? If you haven't, you're missing out on something that I am certain you and your loved ones will thoroughly enjoy. Two Lap Books have changed many of the visits I've had with mom tremendously. These simple read aloud books were created specifically for memory challenged adults. You see, people living with Alzheimer's eventually lose their ability to initiate conversation with others. Because of this, these uniquely adapted books, quote, give voice to these loved ones. By using the book's large, simple text and beautiful, colorful illustrations, we can initiate conversations. Most noteworthy, we can make meaningful connections with our loved ones and help stimulate their mind. Caregivers will enjoy sharing these books and creating purposeful, interactive activities for engaging people with memory deficits. Reading these books together could very likely bring out memories you can cherish together. There's a link in the show notes to the My Favorite Things page on my website. The page is linked to the Amazon pages of all my favorite books and products that have helped me with my mom over the years. Definitely check it out. I'm certain you'll find something that will help you like they helped me. That's why I created this page for you. Could you do me a favor? Can you go to Apple iTunes and leave a rating or even a quick review? This is how new people find my podcast, and I can't be a supportive podcast if people don't know about me. Hi, I'm Jeff. And I'm Corey, hosts of Switch the Envelope. We're a new podcast that discusses the greatest snubs of movies and actors throughout the history of the Academy Awards. Every week, we'll explore a new year, a category, and tell you how they got it wrong. Have you ever watched the Academy Awards and thought, I would have voted for a much different movie? Or how did that movie even get nominated? Or thought to yourself, that actor was terrible. Or even wondered, what the heck is production design? Well, if you've ever thought that, then hit the subscribe button and listen to new episodes of Switch the Envelope. Or visit switchtheenvelope.com. The following has been a Riff Laugh production.